0: Hello, everyone. It's October 5th, 2021. This week, it's a not so great week for Spaceflight. The top not so great story is all about Blue Origin. It's been one problem after another for the company recently, and now we have some new ones to add to the list. So let's get into it. I hope next week is better, and lift off. Through the tower. Welcome to Episode 328 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So I don't know if, if either of you two have heard about this at all. I think it popped up in the Slack news feed. Um, just a quick little thing I thought was kind of innovative and interesting, but uh, Maston Space Systems, they have this fast landing pad. Have you heard of this?
1: Oh my goodness. Mm. I have already sent out messages trying to get an interview about it. Okay. Well, then <laughs> totally... It's so cool. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is cool. So, okay. Well, so you're looking for interviews. That's even better. Yeah. Um, but what an interesting idea. So basically this like, like this got me thinking about a lot of stuff, but you know, if you need to land on the moon and of course there's a lot of dust, there's a lot of regolith, um, what you can do. Is you can spray down a landing pad like as you come down. And I guess the exhaust pretty much like bakes it and hardens it. So you have a nice, hard, relatively dust free surface to land upon. I mean, that's about as much as I know about it. I I, I don't know yeah. much more. I don't, I have no idea what this particular substance is. It's uh, so so alumina.
2: Down, but... That's all it is. Yeah. It's alumina. Okay. Oh, it's just, a... and they have it like a little kind of little chamber. Filled with the, the particles of alumina, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they uh, inject it into the uh, the the nozzle essentially, where it, it melts in the rocket plume and then gets another the surface, and that's what causes yeah, <laughs> you to create your own pad on landing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, create create your own pad, which is such a cool idea. So the alumina is injected into the rocket nozzle and mm-hmm. not. Uh... It looks like it's okay. just
2: past the throat. Yeah, it, this graphic is to be believed.
1: <laughs> which it, which is it's crazy. Like you you just. You scatter alumina into your exhaust? Like, that. that's the big idea? And like, yeah, it is. It works. Like <laughs> It's really cool. Like, they've that's actually like, tested this.
0: Do you think this could be scaled up for something as large as, like, Starship, which, you know, might need to land by some other means, but if they can put down a pad as they're coming down?
1: They'd have to fire their main engines instead of the, the side thrusters, yeah. but sure, why not?
0: Well, exactly, but I, I'm, I'm saying that might be easier than having to land on side thrusters, which haven't even been... I mean, I don't know what stage they're at in designing these Mm -hmm. but that's not something that exists on the current starship so that's like a you know a new feature that they would have to integrate so that's just they can land you on the moon that are mounted to the side of the vehicle but that seems like very technically uh, not very challenging but just you know like an added complexity but if you could just you know spray down a pad and land with your your normal rockets that you normally use when you come Mm -hmm. down uh, that seems easier.
2: Could they throttle them down that much?
0: That's a good question actually very good question I'm not sure (laughs) that they could now that you mentioned it because we're talking about lunar gravity um
2: <laughs> i don't know like i know early on in uh playing kerbal trying to like land on the mun with uh some rs-25s i found out you could not do that <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much you try to throttle down yeah.
0: but yeah very cool innovative idea there i, I just one that I, I i've never even thought of something like that like i don't yeah. know where this idea came from it's just such a you know, left field out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Well, I yeah. very elegant solution to the problem. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and like the, the way that they state the problem is like building a landing pad on the moon can cost up to this amount of money. And like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, how do you get there in the first place? If you don't have a landing pad anyway, you know, like, mm. um, <laughs> like what, what, how do you solve this conundrum? So I think like, that's really where it came from. But I, when I was reading about it, I kind of got this nightmare image in my head of, like, everyone doing this every time they landed instead of reusing pre-built landing pads and, like, the moon yeah. winding up being covered in these these uh, launch pad scars just everywhere. Yeah. It's like, you know... Uh, it, uh, individual, like prospecting, you know, like individual prospectors, like people going out and looking for stuff. And every time they land, they're like, well, yeah, Lumina is cheap. I mean, it's, it's just regular regolith. I can make more. And like, you know, using a, a landing site once deciding that there's nothing there that they want and taking off and leaving behind this. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, charred launch pad. Like, I, obviously, this is uh, a dystopian future that is unlikely to come about because of a million different reasons. But like, <laughs> now nah, we're gonna it's ruin all. the moon. We're gonna ruin it <laughs> oh, yeah. eventually.
0: In the news, uh, interesting title "Blue in the Face." That's like an interesting. That. I don't know who came up with that. Clever. Yeah, so this is all about Blue Origin. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I, I also put it into the running for the title of the show, so I c- it can only be one, I guess. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, so maybe "Blue in the News" is is more <laughs> is more appropriate, but uh, "Blue, Blue, Blue," uh, Blue Origin has had just. I don't know if I'd say scandal after scandal, but it th- this week was not a great week uh, for all the hardworking people in Blue Origin's PR department. So, like, we'll talk about the essay in a sec. But, you know, we, we've seen this uh, this recent exodus of Blue Origin employees just quitting en masse. And Blue Origin claims that the attrition rate is comparable to other companies, but other sources or other methods of uh, determining how many people uh, ha- have quit versus what. Um, what the PR department says indicate that it could be as high as 20% over the last month. And there are a gazillion different reasons as as far as I can tell. One of them is remote work. Interestingly enough, uh, people who had to do remote work from home uh, during, uh, during COVID during lockdown uh, don't want to go back to the office full time. And it it sounds like they've actually um, delayed uh, the return to full in person um, until uh, I think January, okay. um, but uh, there was a, a petition. Like they they announced, "Hey, we're going to return to the office," and um, a huge number of employees, like hundreds of employees, signed a petition saying, "You know, hey, how about we don't do that?" And apparently, from the top, Bezos uh, said, "No, we're doing this," and like banned remote work. It sounds like in effect. Um, Hmm. so, you know, people were willing to do hybrid, uh, work modes and it just, it kind of turned into this big, uh, kerfuffle. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting. One of the things that they did to try and ease people's fears, this was before the uh, the federal vaccine mandate, but they did a, a vaccine disclosure program where if you had gotten a vaccine, you could put a little green dot on your name tag, which is cool, except it was uh, entirely um, good faith. They didn't uh, check any documentation at all. Uh, so that really erodes people's confidence. It doesn't matter how many people would put a green dot on their name tag in bad faith w- without, you know, actually, do, you know, ha- been, having been vaccinated. Um, but it, it doesn't matter how many people actually do it. If people don't believe that it means anything, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like currency. So yeah, the, uh, there, there's a link to uh, um, uh, uh, Michael Sheets' article on CNBC in the show notes uh, that has a little more information about that. Uh, but so, so the essay, uh, Dennis, you were reading this before we uh, before we started recording, right?
2: Yeah, I, I haven't managed to get through the entire thing, but uh, it's it's not good uh, to say the least. Um, it is
1: not good to say the least. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're not joking. You
2: know, there's um, uh, the, the the kind of the big things, right? They seem to keep talking about is one, the first thing that jumps out at you is the the sexism, where, um, you know, admittedly, it's not exactly a a secret that there's uh, sexism in uh, engineering (laughs) in general and aerospace engineering in particular. But uh, it's it's pretty damning when people feel like your company has its own particular brand of sexism.
1: Oh, that's something that's... Yeah. Very,
2: that's, that's no good.
1: Well, and and so that, that was a, that was a quote from the essay, right? It, the, there was this essay posted on, uh, uh, the Linus, um, f- and it was signed by, I don't know how many employees signed it. Um, uh, most uh, were anonymous. 21. 21 yeah. most were anonymous some were previous employees i think the is it the lead author yes
2: yeah, so, so alexandra abrams uh is the only person who uh gave uh their name oh. on this and okay. she was the former head of uh blue's employee communications and yeah and then her and 20 other uh, employees and former employees that were uh up, not just on one program too because uh, they talk a lot about new shepherd and its safety but uh This is an issue across New Shepard, New Glenn, the engines, uh, advanced development programs, test and flight operations, and even HR people are on here as well.
1: So I grabbed two different segments to talk about. The first one is about the sexism. um, And then the other one is about one of the other major issues that we'll get into. Workforce gender gaps are common in the space industry. But at Blue Origin, they also manifest in a particular brand of sexism. Uh, numerous senior leaders have been known to be consistently inappropriate with women. One senior executive and CEO, Bob Smith's loyal inner circle was reported multiple times to HR for sexual harassment. Even so Smith personally made him a member of the hiring committee for filling a senior HR role in 2019. Another former executive frequently treated women in a condescending and demeaning manner, calling them baby girl, baby doll, or sweetheart and inquiring about their dating lives. His inappropriate behavior was so well-known that some women at the company took to warning new female hires to stay away from him, all while he was in charge of recruiting employees. It appeared to many of us that he was protected by his close personal relationship with Bezos. It took him physically groping a female subordinate for him to finally be let go. Additionally, a former NASA astronaut and Blue Origin senior leader once instructed a group of women with whom he was collaborating, quote, you should ask my opinion because I am a man, unquote. We found many company leaders to be unapproachable and showing clear bias against women. Concerns related to Flying New Shepard were consistently shut down and women were demeaned for raising them. When one man was let go for poor performance, he was allowed to leave with dignity even a going away party. Yet when a woman leader who had significantly improved her department's performance was let go, she was ordered to leave immediately with security hovering until she had exited the building five minutes later. Oh boy. Like this Essay pulls no punches. And even though I am not at all related to this company, it my stomach hurts hearing this. Like,
0: yeah, I feel like I'm always first to criticize Blue Origin. Um, but this honestly is like surprising to or at least to me. But you know, I'm I tend to be I don't know, slightly well, I don't know if I'd say I'm naive about these things at all, but uh, it just I just didn't expect it.
1: Yeah, I actually have a a really good quote uh from Ben Hallert in the chat, and I I couldn't say it better because David, most people are in in the boat that you're in, including myself, right? Like I, I consider myself a very, uh, uh, self-aware and aware of other people kind of person, but it, it doesn't really matter because I'm not subjected to the issue. So, so Ben Howard is replying to, um, Eric Berger, uh, who, well, replying to one of Eric Berger's sources. And, and he's, he said that his source said that the allegations of sexism go too far, um, even though like this is This is all true in substance, but some of this is a, is a little far and and Ben said uh, the allegations go too far isn 't convincing to me based on how common it is for folks to downplay crumminess when they personally aren 't affected. Think of all the white folks you know who grew up thinking racism was basically solved because they personally didn 't find themselves on the receiving end of it I suppose i 'm saying i 'm likely to believe the women here and skeptical of efforts to suggest we shouldn't." because of points generally at centuries of historical and oppression slash equality with that as the methodology. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like this, that's a great way to put it. Like the, the problem is that if we don't listen to people, we'll never know what their experiences like truly, like that's the only way to know what other people are experiencing. And so it's, it's really easy to wind up. Not, I mean, it's, it's unavoidable to, to wind up, not, uh, knowing that this is happening and to, to wind up being surprised that a company is done It's like it, unless you're there, it is inevitable that this, that this is going to be surprising. And like, I, I guess I, I don't want you to feel bad about, about saying that David, because it's, it's true and it's a universal thing. And we, we don't know until we, you know, are able to listen to people who are brave enough to speak up, I guess. I mean, for, for us as a third party,
0: I guess I would like to think it's also just because like, this isn't behavior that I'm, these aren't things that I would do. And so you tend to, you know, project, I think onto other people, your own, um,
2: values and such.
0: Yeah. Just, you know, you like your behavior, but obviously, I mean, you know, people are capable of anything, um, (laughs) literally. So yeah.
1: Um, blue origin, uh, denies the allegations, uh, but it's worth noting they just put up a, a, uh, a job listing for a uh diversity and inclusion manager for their hr department and you, know, you can you can interpret from that what you will
2: you know this this reminds me a lot of uh academia oh and yeah when, for sure. and when me and when me too was happening and people you know were oftentimes skeptical about some of these revelations and it's like I've been hearing this from my friends in grad school you know since forever you know they literally had back channels of what faculty to avoid working with because you know you're gonna get harassed basically if you do if you don't if you work with them so
1: yeah and 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 so like we're being really harsh about blue origin uh in this conversation but i I hope it's understood that we are being harsh towards humanity in general which is really bad at this kind of thing like it, it it just it the spotlight happens to be on blue origin right now um okay So the other major topic uh, So what else have they done wrong? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to read another quote here. Um, In the opinion of an engineer who has signed on to this essay, Blue Origin has been lucky that nothing has happened so far. Many of this essay's authors say they would not fly on a Blue Origin vehicle, and no wonder. We have seen how often teams are stretched beyond reasonable limits. In 2019, the team assigned to operate and maintain one of New Shepard's subsystems included only a few engineers working long hours. Their responsibility, in some of our opinions, went far beyond what would be manageable for a team double the size – ranging from uh, investigating the root cause of failures to conducting regular preventative maintenance on the rocket systems. We have seen a pattern of decision-making that often prioritizes execution speed and cost reduction over the appropriate resourcing to ensure quality. In 2018, when one team lead took over, the team had documented more than 1,000 problem reports related to the engines that power Blue Origin's rockets, which have never been addressed. And none of us on the outside can know it if this is the case. Uh, I think we all hope that it isn't. Um, but like FAA takes this, this essay seriously. And, and these allegations of, of lackluster safety, uh, restrictions or, or, uh, safety precautions. And FAA has said that they are, that they're actually starting an investigation. Now, I mean, like I, I looked for a statement that said that I was only able to find uh third party statements. So like, I don't know how, how deeply they are working at this point. Um, you know, it could just be a, uh, a thing where they're like, yeah, we take all allegations seriously. We're looking into it. Don't worry. Uh, but you know, in reality they're, they're not terribly concerned. Like, I, I don't know what FAA has to, how they have, uh, evaluated this, but like at, at very least, like this isn't just a bunch of angry ex-employees bullshitting. Like it's, it's not.
2: Yeah. and And the safety of these if if we really want space tourism to take off this, the the safety is such a huge important part of that you know what i mean yeah. if if we had a if we have a bad if we have a bad mishap where people get hurt early on yeah before like they can really close the business case that could just sink the whole industry i think i mean i'm not yeah. an expert on that but it, it seems well, logical because people are and, very risk averse you know
1: yeah and and some people are saying that this is already put their Mm. ability to close the business case in jeopardy. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem unreasonable.
2: Delta V's got some good insight, I think, into how Bezos thinks and behaves and how that clearly, at least, you know, that directly has affected some of these issues that they're talking about. You know what I mean? It's not just like, you know, uh, happening... At the lower levels and Bezos has no idea about it. Apparently his protection of somebody has directly led to harassment.
1: Yeah. So I really hope that uh blue origin does better. I, I really wish that like hiring a diversity inclusion manager was a good sign. But if you have just denied that there's a problem, I don't think it is a good sign. I, I think the same can be said about safety. I don't, I don't I haven't seen any new job listings for a a safety culture officer, but like if that change doesn't come from within it doesn't matter what faa does it doesn't matter what ntsb does right like like if if the worst happens and ntsb comes in and does an investigation it doesn't matter because this change on all these issues has to come from the inside there there's no way to force it from the outside so i i really hope that that blue origin becomes a fantastic place to work i i really do like i, I want them to succeed i sure. want everybody to succeed um but like ew, boy I I I don't have a whole lot of hope, despite my best intentions. You know.
0: We just keep saying this again and again, huh? <laughs> About Blue Origin. Yeah. Um. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel the same way.
1: I was just gonna say, I don't, I don't like that we have to keep saying this. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I want to be happy.
2: You know, I was just gonna say that with with these kind of uh, problems, this endemic, it's it's really it's, it's going to be hard in the corporate world, I think, to make that kind of change. Because you can't just count on like a new generation of like, like in academia, you can always count on like new, new generations coming in. And, uh, you know, is that really, could you imagine just like, you don't want to wait, you know, 20, 20 30 years for Blue Origins culture to get better. And so I,
1: I think, I think it'd be real easy to fix Blue Origins culture. You fire yep. all of the sexist and results not results driven, but like the, the people who think that cash is King, (laughs) that's a reference to next week's episode. I, I may, that's not a good way to put it, but, but the, the people who are pushing to make, to, to get the results without spending the money, without spending the time and without spending the effort, it should be pretty clear who those people are. Now, granted, it's going to be a fuzzy boundary, but like fire as many of them as you can and promote the people who are raising complaints about those things because the people who are raising complaints about those things are exactly the people who know how to fix it. That that's never gonna happen. Um that I don't think that's ever been the strategy that a company has taken. But like if if you uh if you put me in Bezos's body uh for a month, I I could take care of it. <laughs> We're not done <laughs> with
2: blue yet. Um uh, they're also uh, reporting from The Verge. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think they, they FOIA'd to get these uh, legal documents uh, which uh Freedom of Information Act. And uh, yeah, so uh, basically NASA kind of skewers them when it comes to their HLS bid. So I, I did not know about this, but um, in, in an earlier developmental round of funding for HLS, uh, Blue purposely bid higher, uh, knowing that they would, or at least anticipating that they would get to then ga- uh, negotiate with NASA and then you know, get another you know couple hundred million uh, uh, dollars thrown in the mix there, and uh, so they tried that again. They put in a uh, or in this case it's a couple three hundred million dollars uh, less money uh, uh, than what they were going to get otherwise. And so in this case they they bid high five point nine billion, knowing that they could go lower than that. And NASA just was like, well, no, <laughs> based on everything we uh we read in the the selection memo that yeah. uh, Kathy Leaders put, uh, they just were like, no. Nah.
1: Yeah, and, this and, isn't and, an estate auction.
2: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and 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 it sounds like the Blue felt kind of entitled to having that back and forth negotiation, uh, that they could then go with their maybe more realistic price that, you know, they think you know, would have been more competitive and maybe they could have actually gotten it had they been able to go back and forth on it, but they did not. <laughs> and so, yeah. NASA reserves the right to put the kibosh on uh, negotiations when you put in a bid that's too high. And so their lawyers basically keep uh, I don't know how much it's I think the I think the lawyers themselves, not just the reporting, described it as a gamble and a gamble that did not pay off.
1: Like it it just shows like a complete lack of understanding of how NASA works like ULA would never do this. Right. Because Mm -hmm. ULA knows that. NASA wants you to bid an honest price. I mean, like for real next week, we're going to have an interview that talks about this directly. Like, how do you, how do you know how, how to, to bid a contract? And like, it's not to say that it's, it's evil to give yourself wiggle room. If that is the culture. Yeah, absolutely do that. But this is not salary negotiation. This is not, you you know, all of these other uh, realms uh, where, where that makes sense. Um, it it just it makes them sound immature, I guess. Like, why didn't you hire somebody who knows how to do this? Um, why didn't you hire somebody who speaks the language? It
2: sounds like NASA couldn't have been any more obvious about it. Because even under these this specific round of bidding for HLS, uh, evidently on seven occasions, NASA told the bidders that things you know were contingent on funding from Congress. So put in your best proposal first. <laughs> yep. And. Evidently, that was, I guess, interpreted as a bluff. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> I think yeah. That's another game, but yeah. And
2: that bluff was called.
1: Yeah, and we. Could, I mean, we could talk about HLS forever. There was um, some additional news this week, um, like some of the the like legal paperwork. That the actual protest was uh, published in a redacted fashion. It's just like it really. It sounds immature it, it sounds like someone who's grumpy because they didn't realize how things worked
2: Yeah, and i th- I, I, I like delta v makes uh, I think a very good point in the chat uh that they uh that blue made the what turned out to be false assumption that uh, two contractors would be picked, and so they just had to be the second cheapest. And so trying to ram it in there that way.
1: They they tied their shoes. Have you have you heard that joke about um, two people being chased by a bear, and one of them stops to tighten his shoelaces, and the other one says, "Why are you tightening your shoelaces? You cannot outrun a bear." And he goes, "Yeah, you're right. I only have to outrun you." Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. The- <laughs> There you go. They they tie they tighten their shoelaces. Okay, so let's let's stop uh, beating up on Blue Origin and, <laughs> and talk about something <laughs> a little better. Oh wait, no. I just looked at the rest of the show notes. There's nothing better. Sorry, we got bad news <laughs> all day long, folks.
2: All right, so
0: let's do short and sweet, then. Uh, Let's do some more, uh, I guess, not-so-great news. Dennis, what's the first not-great-news topic?
2: (laughs) Well, first up, Xi'an 10 test satellite fails after launch. After successful launch on a Long March, or Chang'an 3B, rocket, China's classified experimental satellite, quote, unquote, experienced abnormalities. While it did reach its targeted orbit, the state-run Xinhua News Agency reported a failure with the payload and said the space engineers are investigating what went wrong. Details are scarce, with no further information about the anomaly or the mission. U.S. military tracking has identified what are likely the upper stage and the spacecraft in an eccentric 51-degree orbit with a perigee of 200 kilometers and an apogee of 40,000 kilometers. Does that sound like a failure on its way to G... or failure Mm. uh, getting stuck in GTO or...
1: I mean, it must be, unless uh, a valve got stuck open somewhere. Then next Uh, SLS is likely to slip to 2022. The first SLS mission, Artemis 1, is about to get a launch date. Administrator Nelson says realistic dates will be forthcoming after Jim Free and Kathy Leaders give a briefing sometime this week. Unfortunately, just as we SLS skeptics expected, that target date will probably not be in 2021. The A-1 rocket has completed vibration mode testing, and the Flight Orion is planned to be installed on the 13th. Additional testing of SLS's engines is not called for, and only a wet dress rehearsal and final reviews stand in the way of a launch around the moon. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it.
0: Questions, comments, and corrections. We got a couple of uh, genuine corrections once again this week. I think we had some last week, or maybe not, maybe the week before. Whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, what's our first correction?
1: Uh, Kevin L wrote an email in uh, with a really good point. We talked about NASA TV not um, scheduling the um, the splashdown of was it was it Dragon that we were talking about, and we're like, well, it's they're going to cover the undocking, but they're not covering the splashdown. I can't remember if it was Dragon or uh, Soyuz, but I guess a Dragon left this week and a Soyuz didn't. Anyway, uh, yeah, the reason that they were not uh, broadcasting the landing, I agree with Kevin. It, it's probably because of the impending government shutdown, um, which uh, Congress did pass a, a budget resolution that put kicks that can down the road, I think, to December. Um, and so the, the government did not shut down as a whole, there were a couple of funding efforts that did get shut down. But uh, but yeah, so so NASA, nobody got furloughed at NASA, which is great. Um, but yeah, last time we had a big uh, government shutdown, NASA TV just had nothing, um, even before the shutdown. So good uh, good catch, Kevin. I like that. And
0: then the next correction. Uh, this is um, this goes back to something I was talking about at the top of the show last week, and uh, I just want people to know that I knew <laughs> as soon as I said it that it was wrong. I just didn't care uh-huh. to correct myself, but of course yeah. we had a correction, so we got this one from Ben Hallert. Uh, who was kind enough to let me know that the Blue Origin BE4 engines, or I guess all of their engines, are actually not constructed um, at the CAPE, but rather in Kent, Washington, which I totally knew that, but I was just spouting out stuff. So in my, I guess, you know, like unbeknownst to me, preemptive pillorying of uh, Blue Origin. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess, I guess I'm just, you know, adding on to it. Uh, so yeah, I was a little bit incorrect in my criticism of Blue Origin last week, uh, or not incorrect. No, let, let me rephrase that. Yeah. So I just got that one thing wrong, but, um, yeah. So the engines are made in Kent, but I think, I think everything else is done at their facility at the Cape, I believe, or their facility at Kennedy Space Center. I guess it's not at the Cape per se.
1: So so it's not that they manufacture the rockets, it's that they manufacture everything else at Kennedy. Or the they're planning to what's the
0: well they're the actual rocket itself right uh the new glen they are building there because i mean there wouldn't be any i don't think there's a way to move it otherwise which is exactly why it's there because it's you know such a massive rocket that they you you can't transport it by road Um, but i I think i remember some talk this is probably like a couple years ago about them maybe like moving the manufacturer of that perhaps to florida but i guess they haven't done so yet
1: yeah I, i hate those things where you're like this isn't exactly accurate but. And it's close enough. And, but like with that, with that (laughs) said, don't, don't stop sending in, sending in corrections, even when they're nitpicky. Like it's, it's good to to get these things right. And, you know, quite often the corrections are things that we totally did not see coming and, and, and we appreciate it one way or the other. Like it's, it's Hmm. good. Please don't. Please don't stop.
0: So, moving on to this week in spaceflight history, uh, we have for the correct answers, we have Ben Hallert, Cy Kyle, and Deskin Miller with bonus points going to Peter McMally and the Greek. So, they get uh, the bonus points for guessing exactly what my clue was in reference to. So, the clue was um, this event in spaceflight history requires a total of 88 articles if you want the whole story. So, the 88 articles articles are a reference to uh, the Outer Space Treaty. And so, yeah, you get full points if you guess that that's how many of the articles there are in total, but I had to actually count them all, Um, and I (laughs) guess I did get the right answer. Someone, I can't remember who guessed that this was a reference to the signatories or something like that. Ah,
1: that was Ben Haller. Yeah, they, they guessed that.
0: Yeah. So, this event is on the 10th of October, 1967, and this is when the Outer Space Treaty came into force. So, it was actually signed, I believe, in January of that same year, but it wasn't until October that it actually you know, like went into effect, or I guess that's what they mean by come into force. I guess the main things to know about this, right, because it's kind of lengthy, uh, um, it's like 50-something pages in all, I think, if you look at the PDF or maybe more than that, I'm not sure.
1: Hey, that's an average of less than one page per article. That's not bad.
0: Yeah. In fact, I was going to say, it actually is not as much as I thought it would be. Like, It's not as long as I thought it would be. There is a lot of restating the same thing over and over again, just in more detail, you know, at some other point in the article. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that, but Pretty much what it comes down to is back in the 60s, um, there was a fear of, of course, nuclear arms proliferation, uh, which in fact happened, but they could at least like mitigate its use in space. So that's um, pretty much why they developed this treaty. And that was um, just a way of uh, primarily the United States and Russia uh, to both agree uh, to not use space for the transportation of nuclear weapons, I guess, um, because they can go into space. But I wasn't sure about about, you know, because when you're talking about intercontinental ballistic missiles, they can take suborbital trajectories, and as far as I know, that was something that was never off the table, right? I mean, this is you know the capability that these weapons had, but I guess that doesn't qualify as space, perhaps just if it's orbital. Um and maybe that's where they drew the line. So I don't know how successful. Uh, the outer space treaty was in that regard, hmm. but I guess you know, somewhat. Um, but yeah, that that was one big thing was basically to limit nuclear weapons in space, and then the other thing was to come to an agreement that no nation can claim any kind of a uh, right to any place beyond Earth. So, uh, the common phrase that they use again and again and again is, um, Space, the moon, or other planetary bodies, I think, or, or other celestial bodies. Um, that's what they say. Um, so they always kind of like, you know, point out the moon. They kind of single that one out. But, you know, the moon's included with everything else. And this was largely based on the Antarctic Treaty. So... Uh, kind of the same stipulations, right? Uh, no country can claim any kind of sovereign right to that particular region of the earth, and the same goes for space. So as of today, there are 111 nations that are party to the treaty, and that's the term that they use. You are a party to the treaty. Um And then there are 23 signatories. The distinction, um I'm not good with the legalese here. I'm not sure what the distinction is.
1: So the signatories, I believe, are the people who— or. If you're party to the treaty, it means that you're bound oh, by it. Oh, the signatory. Right. But if the, you're a signatory, it, yes. you signed it in the first place. If, if you're not a signatory, then you, what is it? Ex you're an access, an accessory. I don't know. It's accession where you like accept a treaty that's already right. um, been signed. Yeah, right so. I had it
0: backwards yeah yeah so there are 20 yes yeah, so there are 100 111 nations that are party to it but 23 signatories which means that those are the original 23 nations that had signed the treaty so one interesting thing about the use of weapons in space is it again this is to prevent nuclear weapons in space but it doesn't say anything about conventional weapons um, and I thought that was a very interesting distinction now the only conventional weapon I can think of that you could place in orbit let's say um, would be something like a kinetic impactor beyond that I mean like maybe like lasers or something but you know that's probably not realistic right now so what other weapons could you put in space
2: for for space to earth not much but for space to space i mean you could just do anything to sabotage somebody else's
1: so i i actually have a, a good example of a not laser not uh, nuclear weapon have you ever heard of the rods from the gods project
0: right Right, well, that's well, that's what a kinetic impactor is. Um, oh, did
1: you already say kinetic impactor? Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, the rods from the gods. I mean, that's one example right there. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, can you think of anything else?
1: Nah, it's it's either kinetic impactor or nuclear weapon. There's not a whole. I mean, you can you can have a, a conventional explosive in space for sure, but like if you're gonna go to the trouble of putting it into orbit, eh, right. Go big or go home. Usually.
0: And Dennis, you said that you could put anything in space, um, or or that something. Much more conventional. Anything
2: could be a weapon, like, yeah, a space dagger. You just go up to your opponent's spacecraft and disable it.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. And we talked about what was the Russian machine gun mounted. Salu- yeah. yeah I
1: don't remember what the name of the cannon was, but it was it was like the Russian word for cannon,
0: so I guess you could do a conventional weapon such as that in space uh and yeah, that's something that might be useful if you're trying to shoot down some other spacecraft, um, but it obviously wouldn't do much good if you're trying to shoot anything on mm. the ground
2: yeah right and I, every Soyuz has the uh... I didn't realize their 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 survival rifle on a Soyuz has a like machete I think built into the stock yeah
0: that's interesting yeah so so they were anticipating an invasion
1: no 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 the 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 uh the weapon on the soyuz is a survival weapon for once oh, you oh survival for once you land. and it's oh, actually okay. not accessible from the interior uh there's a door on the outside of the soyuz so it's really easy to get once you've landed but if you want to get to it while you're still on orbit you have to do an eva i had no
2: idea about that that's
1: yeah
0: that's very cool
2: and and good to know that when your uh, crewmates doesn't have access to a firearm yeah. inside your
0: spacecraft. So I just kind of have these funny little headings, because um, I didn't know how else to break down all of the various articles, because there's, like I said, yeah, like any plus something articles, and there's they're just scattered all over the place. They kind of all stay, say the same thing again and again, but in a slightly different way. But basically, I kind of broke it down into some various categories um, that I thought might be interesting. So, so the first one would be Good Samaritans in space, and this is really interesting. Didn't know about this. Um, So basically, any nation that is party to the treaty shall render assistance to an astronaut who's in distress. Now, that's not a scenario that's likely to happen, but I think that that's pretty neat. Like if you can help an astronaut who's in distress um, Hmm. in space or more likely on the ground once they have landed. That's probably what they meant. This includes emergency landings in foreign territory. And if that happens, the astronaut has to be safely returned to their country or to uh, the registry of their vehicle. So, uh, yeah, or the state of the registry. So the country of origin.
1: Yikes. So that means that if an American is what, what this means, since you have to return them to the, the country of registry, it means that if, if you're an American astronaut and you're about to get navalny need, you're kind of screwed because if you land in the Soyuz that you launched, uh, you're still going, still potentially going back to Russia. Well,
0: wouldn't that be? But that's assuming that that person doesn't claim what is it? Uh, claim amnesty?
1: Amnesty? I don't know. Yeah. D- does the Good Samaritan article? Uh, allow... <laughs> it doesn't say anything
0: about that. <laughs> well, but I imagine that if the person didn't want to come back, then they don't necessarily have to. At that point, it's you know down to whatever you know extradition laws they have with those countries. I,
1: I'm I'm mostly feeling pessimistic and miserable. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> um. Yeah. So there's that, but then also like any information regarding any phenomenon that they discover that might pose a danger to life and health of the astronaut must be shared with other nations as well. So I guess if you discover, you know, something in low earth orbit or, cause I keep thinking of that, or like on the moon, that might be, you know, a potential hazard, you have to share that information and say, Hey, beware of this. Again, these are scenarios that aren't at least right now that are not likely to happen. Um, but it's kind of interesting that they were kind of like writing ahead and we're trying to foresee some you know possible scenarios in the future and then another interesting little thing that again doesn't seem likely but very cool um, is that any nation that is party to the treaty and I keep having to say that shall be open to representatives of other states with a reasonable advance notice of a projected visit to avoid interference with operations so basically and I you know see this in the Mm. most the most interesting scenario which is it if like America if you know the government said hey Russia we want to come visit your space station and this is back when they had their own then they would be allowed to do so um that's kind of what that sounds like to me um that you have rights to visit anything that's off earth
1: yeah it says all stations installations equipment and space vehicles on the moon or other celestial bodies shall be open to representatives of other states parties to this treaty on a basis of reciprocity so Mm -hmm. uh so I, i wonder uh how far you can push the basis of reciprocity um like are you just allowed to say well you can come over to to our base if you want or like does that allow a a party to say no you can't come here because i'm not interested in going to your place either
0: that is an interesting little caveat there like maybe it it has to be reciprocal so yeah. Um. Which it, which it does say that. So yeah, I suppose so. And so let's get back to nuclear power in space, or I should say, let's get to nuclear power in space. So not nuclear weapons, but nuclear power. This mm. is a big distinction here. So nuclear power is actually permitted. And as far as nuclear reactors, that's what, that's never, certainly America never launched anything like that, right? Uh, had the Soviet Union ever done something like that? I don't think so. Um. There's never been a nuclear reactor in space, not an RTG. So this is, an important distinction I'm talking yes, about yeah. an actual nuclear reactor not an RTG which we'll get to in a second
1: and yeah, I don't y- think that was mean an fission r- right
0: right fission yeah
1: yeah so there's the, the Russian Topaz but I don't think that ever flew no no okay Cosmos
2: 1402 yeah was a Soviet spy satellite That had a a malfunction resulting in the uncontrolled reentry of its nuclear reactor and its radioactive. When I get, when I get correction burned, I try to be, I try to learn. (laughs) And so that's why I was, (laughs) I was trying to make sure I wasn't going to complete an RTG. And uh, a fission reactor, which I didn't realize, uh, RTGs uh, use that whole uh, whatever that special effect, Seebeck effect, and everything. And so,
0: well, so in that case, the Soviet Union would have been in violation of the Outer Space Treaty, in well, in a couple of ways, and I guess we'll get to those. But basically, you can have a, a nuclear reactor in space, but obviously you're supposed to mitigate the spread of a- any kind of fissile material, which could contaminate wherever it crashes. So if you do put a nuclear reactor into space, um, it must be in a high enough orbit, or if it's put into low Earth orbit, it needs to be able to be retired to a higher orbit where you know it will not decay and then re-enter over Canada or wherever else. So that's the big stipulation there. And of course they can be used on interplanetary missions because uh, that's not going to you know impact Earth. In the case of of uh, that incident that happened over Canada I believe that I want to say that Russia kind of you know kind of dragged their feet on that and Canada had to clean it all up and uh, that's uh, that's kind of a violation of the treaty but then again there's a lot of scenarios and things where I think to myself isn't that a violation of the aerospace treaty you know like I can think of all the various events that we've talked about in the past and it seems like it happens pretty often Um, Mm. and so I don't know how strictly like any one nation adheres to it.
2: Yeah, I, I can't imagine people would go to war over this type of so I, yeah. don't, I don't know what kind of uh mechanisms they have in place. It, it probably is more like a yeah.
0: in most cases if something happens you're supposed to report it to the secretary general of the UN and then from there I guess you know they do what they do but yeah there's not a whole lot that can be done unless you're willing to go to war or something like you said so if you have a nuclear reactor that's being sent to orbit it uh, must be designed in such a way that it does not become critical before it reaches its operational phase um and that kind of I feel like that should go without saying in that that's you know a pretty logical safety feature to have, you know, like you wouldn't want to be operating while it's sailing to orbit. That that seems pretty crazy. Or yeah. like even being in a position where that might potentially happen. Yeah. And then yeah, getting to uh the RTGs, the radioisotope generators, they can be used in LEO and really just about anywhere. Uh, but they too have to be retired to a sufficiently high orbit. That orbit must be high enough that the material inside can decay to, you know, like an acceptable level. So I don't know how long, I mean, it depends what, like, you're looking at a half-life of um a couple of decades right is not about or even less than that really like if you're talking about something like curiosity on mars i think it loses something like 50 percent of its power over 20 years or something like that again i'm pulling that
2: number out of thin air (laughs) well isotopes different isotopes vary wildly and so i
1: don't know what (laughs) 28.8 years for uh plutonium238 oh no no sorry that that's strontium 90 strontium 90 which is what uh, the Soviets use in their terrestrial RTGs plutonium 238 has a half-life of 87.7 years. And plutonium-238 is what the U.S. uses in there, isn't it? Yeah, plutonium oxide.
0: Moving on to remote sensing of Earth. Remote sensing shall promote the protection of Earth's natural environment. Basically, like any information that's identified as being capable of averting a phenomenon that might be harmful to Earth, uh, that has to be disclosed. And they do make, and I didn't put it in these notes, but they do make a distinction between the data that's gathered, the analysis of that data, and then any conclusions that are drawn from it. I don't remember the, the right word for that last one. But basically, you, you know, have to share, I believe, like all three of these or at least the first two. So obviously, you can draw your own conclusions, but um, you would have to share the data and you would have to share like any analysis, you know, like if you find perhaps that there's a volcano that's going to erupt or something, then uh, that mm-hmm. needs to be disclosed. I don't know how many instances, like how many times that's happened. I mean, like obviously, there's a lot remote sensing has done, uh, but um, how many occasions have there been where, say, one country might not necessarily want to share this information with the rest of the, the signatories or, you know, mm-hmm. like the other nations that are party to the Outer Space Treaty? I don't know how often that's happened. Um, It mm-hmm. seems that for this type of stuff, you would hopefully be more than happy to share the information. But
2: mm-hmm. And that that has happened. I'm pretty sure I, I, I can remember, like, real instances where, because some of these, you know, satellites might only revisit a particular spot. After Mm -hmm. days, you know what I mean? And if it's something that's fast developing, then you want to get that information to people sooner. And that's part of why you want all these uh, small little constellations that these little CubeSat uh, Earth observing constellations that'll be able to revisit like locations like really, really quickly. And so you can get data to people very quickly. And that can Mm -hmm. cross borders and thus be. Helpful in this yeah. spirit of the Outer Space Treaty.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, just quickly touching upon natural resources, um, there's not much that had been said about that in the Outer Space Treaty back in 1967 because that was not a thing then. And it's still, like, really not a thing now. Um, so it's kind of ambiguous when it comes to things like asteroid mining. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll just have to see how that develops. Maybe there might be some amendments made Um But um, I suppose as long as you're not claiming that particular resource, then you can still do whatever you want with it Um, with, you know, some other guidelines. But uh, you just can't say that you like you have ownership of it. But, yeah, there's not a whole lot there when it comes to the use of natural resources in space. So that's just a brief rundown of kind of the spirit of the Outer Space Treaty. Um, I didn't want to read a bunch of bullet points because that's kind of boring, but you get the idea. So basically, uh, it's a whole lot of nuclear weapons, and hey, you can't own space that's kind of what it kind of boils down to. Um, (laughs) And, you know, if an astronaut is like stranded somewhere, then you have to render assistance, which I thought was probably the most surprising and kind of like the coolest thing that I read about that. Um, I don't know. I I just think that that's kind of neat. But, yeah, so there's your outer space treaty.
2: Nice. Awesome, David. Uh, That was a great job covering uh, some legal document, (laughs) which is not not what we typically do. But uh, that was really neat Uh, uh, kind of history we were able to touch on uh, going through that, especially when it comes to nukes in space. Ben, uh, next week is the 12th through the 18th of October. Do you have a clue for
1: us? Yeah, I do. Uh, My clue comes in the form of two Jeopardy answers. Next week in 1999, the first answer is Strange shares half this with Down. Once you've answered that, you can move on to the second. Or once you've given the question for that, you can go on to find the question for the next uh, answer, which is all three accurately describe this event. My
2: head is spinning, but I've got some ideas (laughs) yeah
0: mine too or spinning that's an interesting word because I'm thinking of one thing in particular like at least this first part right here I don't know I don't know what the event is but I I feel like I know what that's about Mm
2: -hmm. so that is next week in 1999 I will not go through the directions again just rewind a little bit if you need to hear it and so if you think you know what that event is uh, send us an email or tweet at us with the hashtag this week SF and good luck
1: good luck everybody
2: All right.
0: and this week there are no upcoming spaceflight events so uh Yeah, quiet
2: skies.
1: (laughs) Jeez, was this a depressing week.
0: (laughs) All right, so with that, I guess we should deal with the show, and we would like to thank Ronald Jiggy's and Tim Dodd for our music.
2: We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly.
1: If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen, or visit the OrbitalMechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources.
0: For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com and be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts and hoodies.
2: You can join our Discord for free during social distancing. Check our Twitter or Reddit for links. where orbital podcasts on both, and you can talk directly to to us by emailing info at globalmechanics.com.
0: All right, that's it. We will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later.
2: Bye, everybody. See you.